gosh, poke and it sounds so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels' feet. He put one hand upon my head. Great God the mighty, let me tell you what he said. Go tell that lonesome liar. Go tell that midnight rider. Tell the gamble and rambling backslider. Hello and welcome to episode 284 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley. And finally, after more than a month, we got the whole gang back. We got Bryson, we got Jacob, and we're talking about the worst series known to man. But at least the three of us are here to commiserate together. Guys, how are you? Doing great, Mark. And of course, Jacob. Uh, it's final, finally, like you said, uh, we're back here finally. But I mean... What a, yeah, I mean, what a horrible weekend to say the least of what it was. It's just kind of the same stuff uh, that we've pretty much have experienced all year in terms of struggles against the AL East and kind of just how, for some reason, this team cannot just play good against ALS teams, let alone be consistent against anybody else. So definitely not a good way to end the homestand after it had a very promising uh, start to it. Uh, just definitely disappointing, and of course, Canada Day this past weekend too. So it would have been nice to, I guess, finish it off on a way better note. But unfortunately, that is was not the case. And uh, here we are. This should be a fun one. Honestly, I feel like a series like this really does make me question the integrity of this team because this, this is not acceptable. Like to get swept at home by an AL East rival, th- this is brutal. And I mean. It's a shame that this is the first series that we're all back for because like, I'd love to be talking about something a little bit better, but whew, it can only get better from here, I guess. But yeah, uh, not a good look if you're this team. If you're trying to prove why you should uh, be worthy of a playoff spot or worthy of deadline acquisitions, which, crazy enough, are now you know less than a month away. Like If you're trying to push or make a push for playoffs and trade deadline and everything, you are not doing a good job of convincing anybody that you're worthy of it, so... I don't know. Thankfully, they have an off day, and then, I mean, it doesn't really get much easier. The schedule's, I mean, a it little bit easier. It does get a lot easier. You, a you've little got series bit, but... against Chicago and yeah. Detroit to end the first half. Those are very mm. easy places to land. Mm. Well, yeah, it'll get relatively easier, but then still, this is, it's really, it, it's uh, very demoralizing, I think, for them going into these last couple series, well, based on what's been happening. There's no doubt demoralizing. I mean, this is as worse a series as you can possibly put up. Um, I guess we can just go game by game to start off. I don't know. I don't have a lot of opinions about game one. The Blue Jays lose 5-0. They get shut out for the third time in 10 days. Um, I, I don't know. It's the same story that the rest of the season has been, and that's a lack of offense. Pitching does its job, right? You give up five runs. That's a game that maybe you don't expect to win every time, but at least you have a chance of winning, and the offense just doesn't show up. So I think that's kind of the same story as every other game this season. I don't know if you guys have any other takes on that game one. To me, game two and game three are where the, I guess, excitement, you could say, lies. Uh, Obviously, a little bit more on the uh, depression side as Jays fans. But I guess with that in mind, let's get into game two because the controversial part of this game came on the final play. The Blue Jays trail the entire game. They come back. They almost tie it. The Blue Jays give up a home run to Justin Turner, top of the ninth. The Dome closes. It feels like the vibes are different on Canada Day. The heat is gone. It's a whole different ball game. The Blue Jays in the bottom of the ninth threaten. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits a ball into the outfield, and Bo Bichette is caught at home plate trying to score the game-tying run. Um, The controversy here is whether Bo Bichette should have ran or not, whether this is Bo's fault, whether this is Luis Rivera's fault, whether it's neither of their faults, because if you listen to John Schneider, that's what he would have you believe. Um, I'm curious what you guys make of this situation, who you blame for this. Personally, I fully blame Bo Bichette for this. I think this is entirely on him. I'll tell you why. I guess three reasons. First off, Bo Bichette is a smart baseball player. He's been in this league for a while. He's played the Red Sox for a while. He knows Alex Verdugo in right field. He should have known 
that Alex Verdugo is one of the best defensive outfielders, one of the best defensive right fielders in baseball, at least based on arm strength. He's been in this league long enough, he's played the Red Sox enough to know the strength of Alex Verdugo's arm. He shouldn't have been testing it. That's point number one. Point number two, listen to your third base coach. I know Luis Rivera put up the stop sign late, but you still have time to stop and you still have time to turn around. So that's point number two. Point number three for me the last argument I have against Bo Bichette is if you are going to blow past the stop sign, if you're going to ignore everything I just said, commit to running full speed. And he rounded third base and hesitated just for a second. And I know he was out by 10 feet. Maybe ultimately he, he would have been out by 5 feet if he didn't hesitate. But to me, if you're going to blow past the stop sign, if you're going to commit to going to home, you have to commit. You can't hesitate halfway. And so... Watching that play, I, I couldn't watch the end of it. I knew what was coming because you saw the stop sign, you saw Bo hesitate, and you know Verdugo's in right field, and you just know the game is over at that point. And so I was unbelievably frustrated with this play, and I think it fully lies on Bo Bichette. I know people disagree with me. I know people think a lot of this blame goes to Luis Rivera for putting the stop sign up late, but to me, this is 100% on Bo Bichette, and I was unbelievably frustrated watching that in the ballpark. See, I understand being mad at Luis Rivera for putting the stop sign up late, but that happens not regularly, but it happens. Like, it's not as if, oh, you, you were late sending the, the guy, therefore it's automatically your fault because he was thrown out. I think Bo Bichette just made yet another mistake on the base pass or just on, on, the, on the field in general. If you're going to run, you better be damn sure that you're going to make it. I don't, like, if you're running through the stop sign... You have to have something in your mind saying, no, there's like whatever it is. I know I'm making it home. The other thing, like you talk about Alex Verdugo's arm strength. That is true. But also the ball was hit way too hard. Like it was in, I guess, his glove or right at his glove uh, after Guerrero hit it. Bo was barely at third base. Like I don't know what you're doing. It's not as if, like if he was at third base, fair enough, run. Obviously the, that run did score. But like, what are you doing? The ball is already, like, you're not even halfway to third base and the ball's already in the outfield and you're thinking you can run. I really don't know what he's trying to do there. And uh, I, I know people are going to be mad at me for saying this, but this is yet again another error, mental or literal, uh, on the score sheet that Bo Bichette has made that is costing this team runs and games. And I know he's one of the premier hitters, and I'm not going to go and say that he's going to get sent to the minors. I was... Obviously not very well received back whenever I said I don't even remember when that was, but um, it's just it's it's just baffling the fact that he can be so good, but then just make so many mistakes, and it costs this team. I don't know, and, and you know I said at the beginning where you know this is the type of series where you really do question uh, the integrity of this group of players, and is this group really capable of of winning? I mean they're only projected. I think it's probably down to like eighty seven or eighty eight wins. Uh, I think it was like 88-something at the start of the series, which is, I mean, kind of similar to what they had last year. So it's not as if, like, oh, it's a huge downgrade. But still, this team, all season long, I think that we've been saying, like, you know, you make all these type of uh, type of acquisitions. You try to do this thing to build a, you know, a more complete roster. And it's not it's not resulting in the, uh, in the wins that you're expecting to. But... Before I get too off topic here, just specifically on this Bo Bichette error, this has to be on you. Like, I know you can blame the third base coach or just any type of coach or whatever, saying you put up the wrong sign, you stopped me too late, whatever. But at the same time, if even if you're halfway to, to, to home plate, I know it's a little late at that point, but if it's anything less than halfway, you can still just bolt back and dive into third base. Like, it's not as if... Oh, you know, I'm a third of the way there, a quarter of the way there, might as well go, even though the stop sign was put up because it was too late. No, you need to stop. I know there's two outs. I know you're getting towards the middle and the bottom of the order, uh, but this is not a situation where you need to be running, especially if there's no guarantee that you're going to be to be safe. You know, who knows? Maybe the next batter it gets out and then the game's over anyways. But still, I'd rather that happen than be thrown out in this situation. So I think you have to blame Bo Bichette for this. It's a shame. As you can see, like in that interview, he just like it, it, it was very reminiscent of that wildcard interview where he's just so down. He's like, yeah, 
you know, I was stopped, whatever. Like he sounded just super, super upset about it. And I get it. It's, it's just super frustrating. And let's, I, I don't even know what to say. Like, I can't even say, well, let's hope it's better for next time. Cause there, there shouldn't even be a next time. Like if you're put, if you, if you have the stop sign, stop, like, unless you were for sure you were going to be safe, go back. And it, it he didn't go back. They ended up losing the game. And really, I mean, it's funny. The Blue Jays, like, they've had a good month of May. I think they were 18 and 11 or something like that, if I can't remember with all my head. But they had one of the better records in baseball. But it doesn't feel like that because they have terrible games like this or just, like, just brutal stretches or brutal mistakes that they're making. And that's why I'm just, I'm just very concerned about what's going forward. Like, is this team really capable of winning if they're not even able to just have little situations like this go right for them? And that's the frustrating part is that, like these types of situations shouldn't be happening to a team uh, that's expected to win and everything like that. So perhaps maybe it's time to lower the expectations a bit. I might be getting towards that point at just from what I've seen so far in terms of the amount of mental pro- mental mistakes that there have been with this team. And it's been more than on one occasion uh, where this has happened, but of course in different sort of ways. And again, if you're a good team like that, you shouldn't be making these types of mistakes. So I think that's also the most frustrating part. And I would agree, I do agree with you guys that I blame Bichette the most. And if you also pretty much heard what he said in his interview and everything like that, he, it did seem like he had tried to deflect it a little bit in terms of saying, you know, I know Alex Verdugo can throw. I was expecting to see a stop sign. Didn't really see anything. So that's why I kind of kept going and hesitated a little bit. So, I mean, regardless of how true that is or not, it still uh, goes back to what you guys were saying in terms of being aware of what was going on. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hits a hard line drive to the opposite field. And usually when that's the case, of course, he's ran so many times where he can probably be the best judge of it, where if that's the case... Probably not a, not a good idea to run, um, especially on a case where you don't really see anything. If that's really truly what happened, that's probably the best situation, especially when you're down a couple of runs because you need as many base runners as you can have. And then, of course, Matt Chapman, I believe, was on deck after Vladimir Groh Jr., who also went deep earlier in the game. So, uh, And he also had a very good weekend overall and a decent homestand. So just little stuff like that kind of you know, putting yourself ahead a bit in terms of thinking ahead a little bit in terms of how you're going to... Uh, inch, you know, close, just come back in some sort of way. And this team usually doesn't come back this season. That's the one thing that we also have learned is that usually when they're down and they're out of it, whenever it is, it might be early on, it might be middle of the game. Usually that's game over. So this was actually one of the rare cases, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's true, where they actually came back and they it felt like that there was a decent chance that they they were going to be able to come back. It was Canada today. They started chipping away at the lead, of course, later on. They had uh, two runs in the eighth inning. I think they had a run before that. And, of course, the, the other run in the ninth inning before uh, Bo was tagged out. So in the game, they finally rallied a comeback. They make a mistake like this, and that's just the other part that adds on to it, uh, which kind of just adds on to the story of the year in terms of just – not exactly getting things done in terms of the small stuff and in terms of just unfortunately being inconsistent. And I mean, it's just stuff like this should not be happening to championship teams. It never does. You never see teams like championship teams, championship caliber teams make these types of errors too. So that's also why I might be at the point where I'm also ready to lower the expectations a bit, even though it's a heck of a disappointment so far, uh, in my opinion, this season, like, it, it also just hasn't been a, a, a joy to watch consistently either. It's just one of those things where it just doesn't feel like that this group has that vibe to them. Um, and I think that's the other part that stings because of the amount of, I guess, excitement and just the, the high expectations that we've had uh, in terms of throughout the entire year and even, of course, before the year started. So it adds on to it in terms of mental mistakes like this that they should not be making Bo Bichette. You are right. Going back to what you were pretty much talking about at the beginning, Mark, even if you didn't see anything in terms of rounding third base, don't go, especially when it's a roper to, to right field. It, like you have to be the judge of it. You can't go in that situation. Um, you know, I mean, he didn't see anything. I, again, I don't know how much I believe of that either. I mean, there just seems to be a lot of deflecting going on in terms of what happened um, after that. But And if it, it is truly the case, then he should not have won, unfortunately. But 
it did happen like that. And it's just stuff where it feels like there's just people are out of sync in terms of stuff that, you know, should be, shouldn't be happening to a team like this or a team that was expected to win or talked about um, to win through all this time. So that just adds on to the, I guess, the disappointing weekend that we did see. And of course, against the division rival again. And uh, hopefully, uh, if they have another chance to come back uh, this season when they're down late, they they don't blow it like they did uh, on Saturday because that definitely was a, a tough way to watch them lose uh, on Saturday on Canada Day. Yeah, and it always feels like there's some sort of magic on Canada Day that the Jays always seem to find. And then today or you know this weekend, it was just total disaster from that play forward and yeah, very, very frustrating to watch. Um, I, I mean, I guess we can talk about Sunday's game as well. Um, I'll defer to you guys on this. Bryson, maybe you want to lead this conversation, but I was watching the game. I got on a plane when the score was 4-2, and I was in bliss for two and a half hours thinking the Blue Jays were winning that ball game. I get off the plane, turn my phone off airplane mode and discover that the Blue Jays lose 5-4. And of course, my flight was to Boston, just to add insult to injury. Um, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't watching this. I'm very glad I wasn't watching it. What happened? What do you make of what happened? What went wrong for the Blue Jays? So what point were, it, what point were you at when you got on the plane again? I, I saw Brandon Belt hit his second home run. Okay. And so middle I don't know. Innings, yeah. It was maybe like 15, 20 minutes after that that I got on the plane. Okay, so middle innings, you saw it, of course. And then, yeah, I mean, finding a way to lose once again. But here we are talking about just, I guess, how the Red Sox were able to come back on this. There's a lot that I guess you can take away from this. Um, and, of course, I'm not pointing finger. I'm not going to try and point fingers at anybody in particular, but this is kind of just the way it happened in terms of what you said. So Brandon Belt finally homer or homers again in the sixth inning. And then the seventh is when the Red Sox got the third run. And that was against Eric Swanson. Eric Swanson definitely didn't have um, his best stuff throughout this series. I think that's the one thing or one of the highlights I was taking away from it as well. A lot of people are discussing the fact that it might be because of that heavy workload he's been getting. Perhaps a lot of these guys are getting a bit gassed. You can even make that same uh, argument with Jordan Romano. Unfortunately, it's hard to ex exactly prove, but when you look at the workload and look at the amount of games that these guys have been appearing in, perhaps it's some sort of argument, but it is no excuse to what happened um, in terms of finding a way to lose like that. I mean, these are games that you have to close out, especially going back to the same conversation. A team with these high aspirations should be winning these games uh, no problem. And unfortunately, that was not the case. So that happened in the seventh inning where the Red Sox got back on the board and Justin Turner felt like he was destroying the Blue Jays all weekend long as well. And, um, I mean, a lot of players individually were. And, of course, the main part happened um, when they tied it later on when Alex Verdugo grounded out. And then Alex Verdugo once again in the ninth inning. Uh, the very first pitch of the inning just smokes a fastball over the heart of the plate. No, no doubt or to right field and didn't even really come back to my mind that this was the second time he's done that this season they showed going back to the series in Boston when they swept the other time uh where he did the exact same thing to Jordan Romano so whatever the heck dancing around the bases exactly with the little light show and everything like that at Fenway Park so whatever the approach Alex Verdugo has on Jordan Romano uh it's working and Jordan Romano needs to fix any sort of approach that he does have going back the other way. It feels like when Romano gets into trouble, like he or when he does get into trouble, it's always like it's always right away. It's always at the start of the inning. So there's something where and of course, I get it. He only throws two pitches or anything like that. But Alex Verdugo was just he it he knew uh, maybe he was guessing, of course, but he knew exactly what was coming at him. And he just des destroyed the ball. And, of course, it goes over the fence. And then going back to what I said before, when this team goes down, there's very, very minimal optimism in me that they're going to be able to come back. Uh, and, of course, it's not fair to do that every single time you blow a lead like that. But every once in a while, it would be nice. I'm just saying. So that immediately for me was game over uh, when that happened. I think most of pretty much every single other fan probably was thinking the exact same thing as me or the exact same way. But... Yeah, it's just another kind of case where it's a division thing. I don't know. I mean, we saw the same thing with Romano 
back in the series opener, going back to the first series of the homestand uh, against Oakland on that Friday night when he did the exact same thing in the ninth inning. And it's actually the uh, exact same score as well when it ended. So that's the frustrating part is that they had the Red Sox on the ropes. I mean, they were up big. It was another Kevin Gosman start. He did very well, of course. Uh, that There was no hesitation on that. He had a lot going on in terms of throwing almost 100 pitches in five innings. He was working very hard. And then, of course, handing things over to the bullpen. For the most part, everybody did a very good job, despite the couple of runs that Swanson allowed and, of course, what happened in the ninth inning. So you can't necessarily blame everybody on the bullpen. You can't blame Kevin Gosman. Uh, the offense maybe could have had more runs. I mean, but that's been, of course, been the story of the year, of course, going back to every other game where there might have been other situations they could have brought in more runs. But again, you were up 4-2, so it's kind of hard to blame everything on the offense for that. It kind of, it just comes down to it where the Red Sox rallied back, uh, something that we don't see a lot from the Jays. And they knew ex- they were just, they had a game plan on Jordan Romano and they've had it all year uh, in terms of what we've seen. So, and of course they haven't been the only team that's had the game plan on Jordan Romano late in games. So that's kind of where things stood. And it's just another thing where it just adds salt to the wound. It felt like every game kind of got worse in terms of the way it ended and it would have been nice to get one. And coming away knowing that they are still winless against the Red Sox this season is also the other baffling part to me, for sure. Well, you know it's more baffling? The fact that they only have seven wins against the entire division. Like, I know they're winless against the Red Sox, but like it, it, that's not acceptable. And I know we talked about, oh, you know, the, the schedule getting a little bit easier. They're going to play the AL East a little bit less. It'll help them. It's not helping them. Like, you're you're pretty much guaranteed to have a losing record well, against your if, division. I mean... If they had 19 games against all the AL East teams and they were playing like this, it would be even okay, worse. Yeah. So in some ways, yeah, I'm no, grateful fair. that they've got they would have made the playoffs. 14 games now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They would have made the playoffs. No, fair enough. No way. Mm-hmm. No, that definitely makes a lot of sense. But um, I think one of the big concerns that I have with this team, and this last game in the series shows it, is that if they, it's almost as if like they're up, they're leading, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But then... Once the other team starts to mount any type of comeback, this team cannot stop the bleeding. It's like, oh, okay, you know, we give up two runs here, a run here, another run here, make a mental error, all that type of stuff. Like, they can never stop the bleeding. And then when it gets to be too late, they're not able to get back into it or to come back or to win it or, or anything like that. And I think that's the most unfortunate part of this is we t- we've kind of talked to this all throughout the episode. Is this team championship caliber? No at least not this season, they've proven that they are not. And, you know, I mean, yeah, they don't have Manoa right now. Yeah, they're expecting to get a couple pitchers back from Tommy John later in the year, you know, maybe within the next month. But, like, how much is that really going to make a difference? Like, yeah, Manoa's been pretty bad all season. Well, really bad all season. You get him back, you have your rotation back to five men, maybe six later in the year, we'll see. But uh, how much is that really going to make a difference? Like, is that... Say Manoa comes back and he's like 350 ERA type uh, pitcher. Not bad. Not what we expect out of him, but not bad. Is that really going to change anything? Not really. It's it's not, you know, you can't win. Yeah, you can win with a good rotation, but you can't win if the bullpen every couple of games is going to have a blow up. Like Jimmy Garcia, he, you look at it and like the ERA is pretty ugly. I mean, he does have, you know, he'll have just bad appearance after bad appearance. I mean, he's had a you know a bit better of a stretch. Like he hasn't allowed an earned run uh, since July seventeenth. But still, like he'll just randomly blow up. Eric Swanson. I really don't want to harp on him because he's been fantastic. But again, he'll have those random bad appearances. Or Jordan Romano. Somehow, if it's not a safe situation, it's looking like he's pitching with his eyes closed, which sounds bad to say. But like he'll pitch well, and then he'll just have those appearances where you're like, how? Like how are you the major league leader? Uh, or I haven't looked at the stats in a couple of days uh, in terms of that, but how are you like among the major league leaders and you just randomly, you know, it, twice in the last week are are charged with the loss because you give up a home run late in the, in the game. I don't understand this. And that's, what's just so concerning is you look at in the off season, they acquire Varsho, they acquire Kiermaier, they acquire Swanson, you know, they, they subtract from that team that brought them to the playoffs last year in order to make them a, a more well-rounded team. And I'm not saying this against Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. I like what they did, but this 
group of players is not doing what they're expected to do, not doing what they should be doing. And I mean, I, it's just, it's baffling because you look at the expectations for this team and they are not doing what they, what they're needed to do. And I can, I get, I guess if you're looking for a positive, it's just barely over the halfway mark of the season. So there is room for them to improve, but you're now kind of relying like they, you know, they, they basically need to play 600 in terms of win loss. Like they need to have a 600 win uh, percentage minimum if they want to make the playoffs um, throughout the second half of the season, because you're barely playing 500 in the first half. There's no way. I mean, I know the playoffs still are expanded. They have that third wildcard spot, but the four of the five AL East teams are, I think it's the top eight in the American league. Like you were, you were in a very good division where most likely three or four of them uh, are going to, or sorry, three of or whatever it is. Most of them are going to probably make the playoffs, which we don't really see often, but you're going to see that. And then like, there are teams that I think will have better second halves, especially knowing that this wild card is kind of up for grabs with the blue Jays struggling so much. So I'm just really concerned. Like, I really think that this team is not championship caliber. They, I don't think that there's anything they can really do to prove it otherwise. Cause I don't think that they will, which it, it is a shame, but I just hope that this, uh, you know, these last couple series before the all-star break, they are able to turn things around or at least just, not collapse and like just walk into the all-star break on like one leg, just get to the all-star break, take that time off, pray to God that things change because like, if it doesn't, we might be sitting here in a couple months thinking, wow, this really was a wasted season. So that's the depressing side of things. The positive after all of this is the Jays are still somehow miraculously only a game and a half out of a playoff spot. Which, again, like if you just watch this team and how they've been playing, or at least how it feels like they've been playing over the last month, month and a half, two months, you would say they are eons away from a playoff spot. That they are ten games back, five games back at least, and now somehow miraculously they are a game and a half back. And Jacob, you mentioned the stat earlier in this episode. Yeah, they had the second best record in the American League in June. Like what? Like, where is it, where are these wins come? I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it. It doesn't make sense. And I think that's kind of the dichotomy of the expectations versus reality this season where we've expected so much more out of them and we're getting this team that at some points is performing, but a lot of the time is just really, really disappointing. I will pick out one positive from this series, and I don't know if you'll get, you guys will agree with this or you have other positives that you can draw from this three-game set, but... To me, one of the biggest positives is the return of power. We haven't seen power at all this year from the Blue Jays lineup. And that's been, I think if we're trying to pinpoint like one thing this season that is the root cause behind the Blue Jays' struggles, I would wager that it's their lack of power. It's their inability to drive in runs in big situations, which oftentimes comes via the long ball. And they haven't been hitting home runs. And so I was really encouraged this series, not Friday when they didn't score any runs, but Saturday and Sunday, Saturday getting three home runs, including a leadoff bomb from George Springer, and then later in the game, home runs from Bo Bichette and a big home run from Matt Chapman. And then Sunday's game, Brandon Belt going deep twice. I was really encouraged by the fact that Blue Jays finally got the long ball. They finally got some power. And so if that sticks around, I think they're in a better position moving forward because I think like even though you lose those two games, if you have power, those games are within reach more often, and you're going to be winning those games more often. Um, so I don't know. That's one positive from this series. I'm not counting on it. I'm not banking on the fact that they are going to have increased power over the next, I guess, week before the All-Star break, because as with anything this season, we've seen that things can change on a dime, and one sign of return or resurgence from the Blue Jays does not indicate a trend because that's been the case the entire year. But that's one thing, at least, at least from this series that I've picked up as a positive. I mean, yeah, it, it, see, it's tough. Like we we talk about how they have a lack of power. They did give up Teoscar Hernandez, so you are giving up twenty five, thirty ish home runs in exchange for Eric Swanson. Which don't get me wrong, I like the Eric Swanson trade, but you can kind of see where that lack of power is coming from i mean dalton varsho we know he's not necessarily 
going to hit for average. He, he'll, he'll tell you. He'll be the first to tell you his, his average. And just offensive production's just not been there this season, unfortunately. Um, you know, you look at just the lineup in general. I mean, Brandon Belt's had a, a, a much, much better uh, end to his first half, or I guess, you know, half of the first half of the season, if that makes any sense. Like, he's really turned things around after that really slow start. Uh, but, he, well, Matt Chapman's kind of been there. I don't know. It's just... In general, the lineup's been very spotty. Like, you'll see Guerrero. I mean, we all know what happened. Zero home runs at Rogers Center until, like, last week. He's looking like he's turning things around. But I think that it's just... In general, you have players that can hit home runs, but they're just not doing it. And I know that sounds obvious, but you combine that with... You take away from other players who you're expected to hit home runs, and then the offense has just not really been there from everybody... It's it's just been a, a different team, and I think that's what's a little bit frustrating is they're expected to play more of a complete game, not necessarily rely on the long ball or the big hit. I know you obviously need to rely on big hits at times, but they're not relying on that that on the players to just randomly hit three home runs and get them back into a game. They're relying on more of a complete game, and then you look at this series where they're like, okay, yeah, you know, we we get that 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 two out single in the bottom of the ninth. And then you run through the stop sign and get out. That's where I'm just like, what is going on with this team? Is <laughs> like you, you try to play a more complete game, and then you just play like garbage. So I don't know. I mean, it's going to be an interesting All Star break. I think there's going to be a lot of meetings, a lot of whatnot, even still probably like before the the All Star break, because like the way that this team is looking, it, it looks like they're playing with their eyes closed. And I said that I think about Jordan Romano earlier. It really does look like they don't know what this team is supposed to be like is it supposed to be last year's team where they can just hit a home run and 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 score their way through bad defense or bad pitching or whatever or are they going to be able to pitch through uh, a lack of offense which sometimes they can like you you look at that first game in the series Brios was fantastic and then he fell off the rails and I mean it wouldn't matter anyways even if he gave up that one run they still would have lost but still like it it just looks as if this team feels lost at times and it's it is a shame because they they do have the talent to take them deep into the playoffs, but unless that they're they're able to turn things around and even you know say they get their power back, they need to get the the uh, I mean the pitching's been better, but then they'll just have blowups out of time out of out of nowhere. The bullpen will randomly give up a couple runs, keep them out of the game or the defense or the whatever. Like they need to they need to have everything firing on all cylinders at the same time like you you can't have one thing do well and the other thing not do well if you're not a team that's built to be carried like this is a team that needs to play well on all sides of the field and they're just until they're able to do that I will forever question if they really are capable of winning um, anything beyond just you know 70 80 games uh, in the regular season yeah I mean regardless of that all that stuff of course happening happening every time consistently it's very hard to do um, for a really good team like that. No, ma- even, no matter how good you are, it's a really f- difficult thing to do. Uh, and that's one of the challenges with baseball, staying consistent. So that's the point, though, in terms of when there are blowups, um, like when they have occurred, you know, the odd time this season, of course. When they have occurred, that's why your offense should be leading you in terms of cases like that because we've only seen it the other way around this year where it's been the pitching that has picked them up uh, for the most part. We need to see more of it from the offense in terms of when there's a bad day. We've seen it maybe that there, it definitely has happened a couple of times this year, but nowhere close to enough. I mean, but when it does happen, that's why having the offense kind of bail you out from time to time would also be very nice. And that's the one thing that hopefully we can see in the second half at some point, Mark, you were talking about it in terms of the power coming back. It's definitely a little relieving that we did see it. I mean, of course, you guys were talking about pretty much what happened throughout the homestand and everything like that. And yeah, it was a good weekend to see that as well in terms of guys like Matt Chapman starting to you know go deep again. And of course, Brandon Belt, um, who kind of resurged only at the end of April and then has been, you know, now he's the team's third hitter. So, and of course, other guys like Bichette, who've been doing it all year, Springer, who remains at a really high level right now ever since his slow month of April as well. So that's the good part. Of course, on top of Laddie, it feels like playing a little bit better still, you know, a couple stuff that we still need to see from him, but he's definitely playing much better. And I mean, if you look at their 
uh, their road trip right before the All-Star break. It is going to be Chicago, and it's going to be Detroit. And both of those teams are also lower in terms of in the American League at stats. I think the, the White Sox are 13th in the ERA. The Tigers are 12th in ERA. So this is going to be a, another good opportunity for them to tee off. And I think that's going to be something that we're going to be definitely hoping that they can take advantage of that before the All-Star break. It's not an ALS team, which is good. It's not an East team, thank goodness. And it's going to give them an opportunity to do it. So that's the that's the good part about that. And, I mean, I think the White Sox are second in the American League in allowing home runs, and the Tigers are fifth. Um, so there you go, another opportunity for them to tee off on these pitching uh, uh, challenges coming up throughout before the All-Star break. And it's going to give them another opportunity to continue and to try and build off of what we saw from probably one of the only good parts about the end of the homestand. But overall, throughout the entirety of the homestand, because it wasn't a long homestand, is that you did see a lot of home runs, which was good. A little bit more than usual. And yeah, I mean, even despite the team you know, losing a lot of home runs coming into the year like you were talking about, Jacob... They're still unfortunately underperforming, and I know you said that. I'm just saying it's that's just I'm just pretty much I guess backing or adding on to what you were saying in terms of that. There still isn't enough as they should there should have been right from the start of that. So let's hope. I mean, like I like you guys have been saying as well throughout the entire episode. It's just one of those things where it's up and down. Uh, unfortunately, with this team so far, and it's kind of hard to tell what you're going to get at some points because of how just inconsistent it has been. So they definitely have a good opportunity to go into the All-Star break on a good note to win both series on this short road trip that they're going to go on. And again, mentioning the pitching stats earlier, they're going to have a decent opportunity to continue to hit a lot of home runs. So hopefully we see all of that before uh, a couple of the guys head off to Seattle. Yeah, best case scenario or I guess realistic Scenario where things can go well, you win four of the next six games heading into the All-Star break. You get the offense going with home runs, with hitting for power, with runners in scoring position, all of those things. The pitching keeps doing what it's doing. Hopefully the bullpen gets a little bit of a break with longer starts. And then you go into the All-Star break, you have a couple days to regroup, and then you come back out, you got a tough series against Arizona, but then you start the ball rolling in the right direction again. So that's kind of what the Blue Jays are hopefully setting themselves up for. Again, they're not far. They're not far out of the playoff picture right now. They're practically in it. But, you know, with this series at the hands of Boston, another thing you got to keep track of is the Red Sox are now two games back at the Blue Jays. Uh, the Red Sox are very much still in this, just as much as the Blue Jays are. So... That could become an issue, and maybe, you know, at the end of the season, we're going to be talking about the Blue Jays as the last place team in the AL East. We're not at that point yet, but, like, the Blue Jays aren't far off from that where they're playing right now. They're kind of playing with fire. Um, okay, the last thing we need to talk about today is Alec Manoa. He, after blowing up in the Florida Complex League, two, two innings, 11 earned runs, he gets called up to A, the Fisher Cats, which, um, I mean, from the outside looking in and hearing some... Uh, analysis of this it seems like in the Florida Complex League in that start he was trying to pinpoint location and not really worrying about what happened to the pitches that seems to be kind of now that we've had a little bit to digest what happened that seems to be the consensus of why he blew up and why those numbers were so ugly um, coming into New Hampshire with the Fisher Cats the expectations are different, right? The expectations are you're going to have to put up a good start or else, right? Now you're facing really good hitters. Uh, now you're kind of under the bright lights. We have a TV broadcast of the game as opposed to the Florida Complex League, which just happens kind of in the dark. No one knows what's really going on. Anyways, the end result of all of this is Alec Mano goes out, pitches five innings, gives up one run, strikes out ten, Allows three hits, three walks. He hit a batter. Um, Shai Davidu reporting that he looked more confident at the, as the outing progressed. He threw 82 pitches, 47 strikes. Um, certainly a step in the right direction for Alec Minot. This is not the be-all, end-all. There's still more we need to see. But it's encouraging that he was able to get this start. And it's, again, it's a, it's a step in the right direction. And I think at this point with Manoa, that's all you can hope for. So... Now the question becomes what his ETA is in the majors. Um, you know, I, 
I initially predicted between the trade deadline and the All-Star break, kind of in that two-week window. I think, and and then after that blow-up in the Florida Complex League, I kind of moved it back into August. I think now that you have him pitching in double-A with a performance like this, maybe you can move that window back to after the All-Star break. I certainly think, like, there's no chance he comes up before the All-Star break. There's no reason. And there's no chance that happens, but I think we're probably back into the window of after the All-Star break, before the trade deadline. At least that's where I'm standing on things. Yeah, I originally said before the All-Star break. Uh, I'm going to push it back a little bit. So they play the Diamondbacks at the start of the All-Star, excuse me, right after the All-Star break uh, at home. Then they play the Padres at home. I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, because it's the All-Star break, they can rearrange the rotation if they want to. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him in one of those games against the Padres, whether it's the second or third game. Because, like, if you think about it, they're going to go with that five-man rotation, obviously. Uh, and, I mean, Gosman's the only pitcher going to the All-Star games. I mean, he's going you know, to pitch, like, an inning at most anyways, so it's not like you have to worry about him not being available. But say he pitches that first or second game, I wouldn't be surprised if they give Manoa that fifth spot, something like that, and then he pitches in one of that one of those games against the Padres. So... Hopefully, I mean, it's tough to put him back at home, you know, for the first start. I'm sure, like, I'm not trying to say that he's not capable of pitching at home. The nerves are going to get to him, but unfortunately, unfortunately, they have. They got to him in the playoffs last year. They've got to him pretty much all season. Well, nerves combined with just bad mechanics. But anyways, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him come back at home against the Padres. You can restart your season. Like, yeah, the first half of your season was terrible. Restart it. Come back. Show the home fans that you are that you are back, and then let's just hope that it's a, a much better second half of the season, not only for Alec Manoa, but for that Blue Jay team. It's pretty crazy that, um, and I know, I guess not a lot of people even really recognize it until it happened, but that was actually his first ever like start uh, in AA, because of course that was the level that he bypassed when he was on his way to the majors. I thought that was just kind of, I guess, a cool, interesting fact um, that, I guess goes back to when he pretty much or go, goes back to a couple years ago. So he finally gets to double A. I don't think he ever planned on it, but anyways, um, it definitely is. First of all, it is encouraging from what you guys were saying too. I haven't been on um, since, and I know Jacob, you haven't been on either since uh, we pretty much didn't have a chance to talk about that Florida complex league start um, where that box score looked really disturbing uh, to say the least uh, of how, whatever the heck happened. I don't want to know what happened anymore after what happened last night in double A, because that was definitely the start that he needed. Uh, of course, when you look at it in terms of how it progressed, it felt like based on the updates that we were getting, of course, is as the start progressed, that's kind of when he began to gain momentum more. Cause I believe it was a little bit of a shaky first couple of innings. Of course, he wasn't knocked around at all where he was allowing tons of runs. Of course, he only ends up allowing one earned run, but it felt like, as the start went on, that's when the strikeouts began to come back more consistently and everything like that. You know, first time in a while that he struck out multiple batters in a game. That was something that we have not seen at all this year, even going back to when he was here at the beginning of the year. Uh, that was the one part that didn't translate, of course, out of or one out of a, a ton of things that haven't translated with this game. But I think that's also one of the most notable, notable ones is that there wasn't a lot of strikeouts uh, coming with this game along that. So that was definitely a sigh of relief that he brought that back last night because, of course, that's also signals that perhaps he still has it in him. And I think that, you know, after, I don't know if you guys got to see what he said after the game, but he did speak a little bit. And basically, you know, everything he's been saying about how he uh, he's learned a lot throughout this process and everything like that. So, I mean, we're all rooting for him. Like, I, to the belief that people are praying to see this guy down and, and, you know, I'm sure you guys see stuff all over the internet and stuff like that. It just, it doesn't sit well, well with me when, you know, somebody like this is at a really low point in their career. And I'm sure he's going through a lot as well off the field because of everything that he's been experiencing on the field as well. It just, it doesn't sit well with me to root against this guy. And I'm, I'm really, really hoping along with, I'm sure both of you guys, of course, that he can come back um, stronger than ever. And really when it's all said and done for him, in the future, he can look back on this moment throughout this year and kind of just reflect on it and just recognize that it was a pivotal part for him, of course, and one of his defining moments for his career. And I think that this team as well, on top of that, 
they they really need him in terms of just uh, you know the lack of depth that we've talked about and everything like that and the fact that this team hasn't exactly replaced his spot um for the last month and that's the other crazy part is they've been getting by with four people i believe ross atkins came out and said of course it's not the you know the long-term solution nobody ever said it was and he kind of alluded to the fact that he felt like one or two more times as a four-man rotation would be good enough before you really had to get somebody back here and perhaps now after what we saw last night uh it could be Manoa uh in terms of coming back to fulfill a spot so for me and I think it's the obvious I don't you know I it was a very good step forward last night I just my only concern is I don't want this rushed. I really want him when he is ready to come back to be at the top of his game. I think in terms of just looking out for his entire just I'm not recovery but kind of just his reset. I think that's the most important part for him on that one. So, I don't want anything to be rushed. I remember my original uh discussion with you Mark was it was around the end of July. I'm going to stick to it. Um in terms of that, I don't think I'm going to push it up at all. I, I you know, end of July it, it's obviously after the all-star break, it's a very vague prediction, but for me, I just, I don't, you know, obviously anything before that is crazy. And of course we only have one more road trip, but yeah, I'm, I'm thinking perhaps one of those last two weeks in July uh, after the all-star break might be a good, I guess at the earliest is when we see him back up here. So it, like, it all depends on what's next. It feels like from what we got in terms of the information is that they really kind of are going to do this now on a start by start, because of course there was the, uh, the Florida complex league start. And then after that, there wasn't really any word, uh, until pretty much a couple days ago that his next start was going to be in double a. So does he make another start in double a before he goes to triple a? Because of course he will be going to triple a. You have to imagine he's going to can just completely build his way back up. It all depends on how many more starts he's going to make in double a. And then when he gets to that triple a point, how many more starts or how many starts will he make in AAA? And then, of course, then you got to start lining it up with the big league schedule again and try and get him and find a spot for him to come back in, which they will. It just it, it all depends on how many starts they're planning for him in AA and then AAA and everything like that. I'm, I'm sure they want to see more. We need to see a lot more in terms of his, you know, his reset once again and, and just getting back to the pitcher he was. And I think that's the other part that we have to see first. But I mean, there's no question, no question at all, not taking anything away from what we saw last night. It was much necessary because if it didn't go well that start last night, I mean, it, it would be a very, it'd be a very, it, we wouldn't know what to say in terms of what's next for him, unfortunately, if uh, he couldn't, you know, pitch well last night. So I think that was the best part about it is knowing that he had a lot of success and he's got to build off of it before, of course, there is that trust where he can come back up and slot back into the MLB roster, the starting rotation for this team, because they need him and everything like that, we've discussed. So we will see, but I think the end of July, again, is the earliest for me we, we see him come back. Certainly gives you a lot of hope, what we saw. Like the first, I think, hint of hope from Alec Manoa that we've seen in quite a while, and so that's nice to see. Um, okay, yeah, three games against the Chicago White Sox, second last series before the All-Star break for the Blue Jays. White Sox, not a good team right now, and the Blue Jays have Chris Bassett up in Game 1 against Lucas Giolito. Giolito has a 3.53 ERA this, this season, so that might be a tough game. Game 2 on Wednesday, it's Jose Barrios versus Lance Lynn. Lynn has not been good this year. 6.47 ERA, so that might be a Blue Jays win. And then Game 3, uh, Bryson, I don't know if you have the probable for Chicago, but the Blue Jays, it's Yusei Kikuchi. MLB has TBD still for Chicago. Tanner Banks, probably. Okay. Any idea what his ERA is this season? Tanner Banks' ERA is 5.32 in three starts. It feels like it might be an opener kind of thing. It looks like nine games, okay. three starts. So there you go. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, more relying on the bullpen in that one. Um, I guess I can go first then. I, I'll go that the Blue Jays take two of three. They win game two and game three. They lose the Bassett start on Tuesday. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I'm I'm definitely nervous. Bassett's had a very up and down month. Like he'll have good games and they'll just terrible games. Uh, Kikuchi coming off of a tough outing, but I still think that, you know, if I have to bank on one of them pitching to a win, it'll be Kikuchi just given the starters in game one. You need to take two of three. Like, you can't 
you cannot go into this all-star break with anything less than two straight series wins. Like this is, it would be unacceptable at all or a hundred percent unacceptable. Not even expectations of this team. Like throw that out the window for just a week. Win these two series, start by winning two of three and the, the second two of three against the White Sox. And just hopefully you can set the tone for that, the, for that the last series. And then the second half of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely odd in terms of the amount of negativity that has been brought up throughout this episode. And, of course, then the confidence that they can beat a team. I mean, the White Sox are awful. So, I mean, it's just just the story of the year in terms of up and down and everything like that. I mean, there's no question in my mind that, at worst, they're going to win this series. Uh, You know, not division. We can get that out of the way. The White Sox are very bad. The Jays have a good opportunity to end off. Everything we talked about, they have a really good opportunity to go uh, into the weekend, of course, or just the All-Star break on a good note. I will, I'll will I'll go different than both of you. I'll, you know what? I'll say they sweep. Uh, I think they have a, a decent chance to do that uh, for all the reasons I said before that. Um, then why not be a little bit more risky with this uh, prediction? Why not? We'll see. Uh, I'll, I'll go with the sweep. Wow. Okay, I like the confidence. Uh I don't think it's going to happen. Game and a half I out. Like the confidence. <laughs> if they sweep, then presumably you gain a game on the Yankees and the Astros, like all those wildcard teams. So then you're like maybe half a game out. Maybe you can end the first half in a playoff spot, heading to the All Star break, sitting pretty in a wildcard spot. That'd be very nice, a very nice way to end the first half of the season. So I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe. Um, okay. Thank you to everyone, as always, for listening to this podcast. You can find everything to do with our podcast at the links below this episode. We're on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, buy us coffee, join our Discord, rate and review our podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Subscribe on YouTube. Um, Always helps. And, uh, yeah, we're heading towards the All-Star break, but one, two more series to go, and we will be back after the first one against the Chicago White Sox.